This is Sparta! Enough said. Welcome to Quirks of Creation. Welcome to Quirks of Creation. I am Elise, and with me is Jess, and we are so excited to be here and talk about Sparta and just be with you guys live tonight. Whoever's live, if you're listening, not live, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. How are you doing, Jess? Uh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm sorry I didn't bring my six-pack abs, but I brought my (laughs) one can of ginger ale, so (laughs) maybe that works. That works, but did you oil it up? Well... Actually, I had tacos <laughs> earlier, so it's probably covered in just like a little bit of oil. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Ready I to love go. It. <laughs> I didn't bring my six pack either because I didn't have it either. Fail. I failed Fail. you guys. Sorry. We're the world's <laughs> worst gym bros ever. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well. I probably wouldn't make it as a Spartan anyway. That's okay. I'm oh, all right with that. Me either. <laughs> But I'm excited. So before we get started, we do want to give a shout out to one of our new local subscribers, CMS Bish. Thank you for subscribing. Yay. We're going to have our newest uh, Quirks or Quacks locals content coming out here soon. So for November. So looking forward to that. But yay. Any other big events that we need to mention? Mm -hmm. Ooh, we do have a special episode announcement, but I think maybe we'll save it for the end of the show just to keep you hooked. Yes. Oh, it's going to be a good one, too. So stick around. Yay. But I want to hear about the gladiator, Spartan men, King Leonidas, right? right. Yeah. Nailed it. Yes. Nailed it. I knew a name. So proud of myself. I watched 300 one time. Yes. Thousand years ago, so right, yeah. True story, though. I mean, it's a good movie if you want to feel for that story, the Battle of Thermopylae and the Three Hundred and all of it. It's uh, there's definitely dramatic license in that movie. <laughs> what you're? I know, weird, me. weird. But at the same time, it's actually also very accurate while taking some of the dramatic license that it does. But still. Highly recommend. I love that movie. I love this topic. Um, kind of outside of what I've talked about before, but I just I'm think excited. me too, because I think they're just so extreme and that's what makes them so fun to talk about. Right. So yeah, before we get into it, I mean I get I think it's fair to say that even if you're not a history buff or you don't really know ancient Greece history, everybody kind of knows of the Spartans, they were warriors, they were the elite, you know, that's all fair to say, right? I think they could often get confused with the Romans, because we often think of the Romans as being like these great warriors too, and like having, I don't know, this very sense, this sense of war, Right. Yeah. Whereas when I think of the Greeks, I think of people laying around all day talking about philosophy and eating grapes. True. True. So absolutely. And that is totally fair. <laughs> Rome the Romans definitely took a lot of what Spartans had, especially like the phalanx formation, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about, and other things like that. And they made it their own. But they did get a lot of I, I would say a lot of their foundational things came from Greece just in general. And also, that's a good segue, because I do want to mention, before we get going, like the difference between a city-state and a nation. Mm -hmm. And so, in in this case, for example, like with Greece, Spartans weren't Greek and then Spartans. They were Spartans, and they were part of Mm. Greece, or it was just in Greece. Athenians were... They were Athens. They were Athenians first. Um, and then they were Greek. And then they were Greek. Exactly. So, it's like if you called yourself a Michigander 
and yep. then an American instead yes. of an American and then a Michigander. Exactly. Exactly. Georgian? Georgian, yeah. Is that it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So same for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So rather than a hole with little parts in it, they were the little parts that were like just geography. In geography, they were in the same area, if that makes that sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, when I talk about how Athens and Sparta hated each other, it was like Michigan and Ohio State, how we kind of yeah. hate each other. No, I'm just kidding. Well, it, it, it is kind of like that. And it, it, I like how it's, you can get that in the same state too, like UGA versus Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, and you have both Athens and Sparta in the same nation. Yes, absolutely. So just kind of keep that in mind as we go along. But these guys were totally all their own. And another little caveat to bring up here too is this, I like to add this disclaimer a lot, especially with ancient history. There's not a lot known archaeologically because the Spartans were very sparse. Ah, where we get that with everything. Um, You have Athens who is luxury upon luxury. If you had wealth, you flaunted it. If you, you know, their meals were like 12 courses of the most extravagant things. And then you had Spartans who were like, we eat what we need to survive. (laughs) Right. They were Spartan. They were Spartan in everything. Also with art and music, anything they could have left behind culturally, there's really nothing to find. Uh, And also on top of that too, a lot of their history was written by Athenian philosophers Mm. and historians and things like that. So you kind of have to take some of it with a grain of salt because they really, especially towards the end before they became part of Rome and Greece kind of fell, they really hated each other. They were not, I mean, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty apparent. So all that just kind of like, this is what we know based on what we have. So it's kind of hard to know more than what you have. It'd be weird. It'd be weird. That'd be, that'd be something. History might be written differently. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, (laughs) there's another argument, but yeah. So we'll start with day-to-day life. Uh And then we're going to jump into like kind of how they got there, what made them so unique, why they went the way they did. So we'll start with day-to-day life and with kids. Disclaimer, if kids didn't fit the bill, they didn't stick around. So just warning everybody, I won't go into a lot of detail. Just just know that that's (laughs) that's how it was. I, I'm going to draw lots of connections to literature because this is my only foundation for this. Yeah. But it makes me think of when we talked about Red Rising yep. because the golds were very much like the pinnacle of what it means to be human, right? And so if you didn't meet all of the qualifications, you didn't make the team, kid. Didn't make the cut. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. That's terrible. Yeah. And it was. And so I talk, and I think you'll see towards the end, especially why, but I've been saying, and I'll continue to say that they were awfully awesome. And right. I think you get that just like when you have any sort of extreme culture, there are a lot of great things about it, but you make a lot of sacrifices in a lot of ways to be that extreme. And you'll, you'll see that as we, as we continue, but starting with the kiddos. So they're, one theory or thought, this is argued, but it's thought that the kids were baptized in wine. And yeah, so the idea, one of the ideas is that the kids were like babies would be dropped into a vat of wine. And if they cried out, they're like, oh, that's a weakling. <laughs> There's not a lot of validity or I was a lot about to, to say that's very Catholic, that. but. <laughs> <laughs> but it is something that's come up often. And then after That's that, crazy. they would be, I know, I know. I, like, who wouldn't? Right? That's I'm an adult, I'm, and I'd probably be like, what? Yeah, it's not like I'm crying out. Be, well, I, I probably would be afraid to drown in wine. Like, 
Right. I, I'm not a, such a wino that I'm like, yes, drown me in wine. But <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. And yeah, everything is extreme here. So here we go. If if that was done after that was done, whatever, the children would be shown to the elders. And if the elders decided that the baby had the vitality to survive Spartan life, that was great. But if they were disfigured or if any mm-hmm. anything right or sickly, anything right off the bat that they could see, the children were not kept. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. And it was the mother's job to not keep the child. So that was put on the moms. Yeah. So right off the bat, Mm. that's what I mean by awful. But understand, and we'll talk about this more too, I am not justifying this in any way. I'm just setting the the scene of the culture here. Just understand that military life was everything. You had babies to give back to the state and they all needed to be fit. Like boys needed to be fit so they could serve the military and keep everything safe. Girls needed to be fit too so that they could birth more children for the state. So I'm going to repeat this probably a lot, but just to really hammer home the point, this was their mindset. Um, So boys at the age of seven, so they were raised mostly by their fathers. And then at the age of seven, they were sent to the agogi. And the rest of their life up until they were 60 years old, if they made it to 60 years old, was dedicated to the state. They were reared by the state. They were brought up in um, military school, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that consisted of a very brutal life for these children. Mm-hmm. So they didn't graduate the agogi until about 30 years old. And that included... It's just military training, wrestling, and boxing. Music was also a big part of this, which sounds really strange. But they would use music as a way of teaching the boys and and girls too. But they would use music to teach them how to move, how to work in rhythm together, um, things like that. So they would be well-versed in dancing. How interesting. Actually, you know what? That does make a lot of sense because if I think about all of the training I received when I was doing martial arts, part of the things we did was agility training. And the best way to get good agility training is by learning choreography. I know they do that with football players too, teach them different types of choreography. So actually, dancing makes perfect sense for a well-trained military. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was a it was a huge part of their education. I mean, they were taught how to be literate and things like along those lines, but mm-hmm. it really wasn't as important as survival skills and military training. So the they were also taught and it was ingrained that loyalty to the state came above everything else, of course. And Gotta not just loyalty. Brother. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, there was nothing else. Literally nothing else for them. Yeah. Except besides the state, then next would be their brothers in arms. Like it wasn't, it wasn't about family. They cut their familial ties. It was your brothers are your family. This is it for you. As Mm. far as emotional attachment, what you really care about. Um, And so that was, that was basically their life. I mean, one of the weird things, like they were encouraged to steal. They weren't given a ton of food. I mean, it was important for them oh, to have a good nutrition. Right. But at the same time, <clears throat> they were encouraged to steal. But if they got caught, they would be severely beaten. And it wasn't because they were stealing. It's because they it got because caught. They, because they got caught. Exactly. That actually makes a lot of sense to Yes drive a sense of creativity, drive a sense of survival into your soldiers. So they're quick on their feet, they're smart, and they know how to get away with stuff. Exactly. Mm. Yes. Uh, And it's a fine balance between thinking for yourself and not at the same time. You know what I mean? Like you want, essentially, you would want these kids to be brainwashed enough. That's, I know it's a, harsh term but that is what it is it is it is what it is 
you want them to be brainwashed enough to put the state, to put every, the good of their city state above everything else. And yet at the same time, be clever enough to think in battle for themselves too. Mm. Yeah. Plutarch wrote, um, one of his quotes about this was, of reading and writing, they learned only enough to serve their turn. All the rest of their training was calculated to make them obey commands well, endure hardships, and conquer in battle. Therefore, as they grew in age, their bodily exercise was increased. Their heads were close-clipped, and they were accustomed to going barefoot and to playing, for the most part, without clothes. End quote. Wow. Yeah. So, also, I guess this should be a disclaimer, too. There's a lot of nudity. Just rampant in Sparta. <laughs> Elise is so excited. This is her favorite episode. I just, I swear, it's like every other episode I do, there's rampant nudity and I'm not trying. Yes, she is. Maybe I am. But still, it's still true. <laughs> you got to talk Truth about all true. these ancient cultures and none of them have any clothes. And they just didn't like clothes. I don't know. <laughs> I need the bonk meme for Elise. Bonk. <clears throat> yeah. No joke. But it was also said that they ran around barefoot most of the time. Even in the winter, they were given like a cloak. And that was it. They had and to make was- their own bed. Uh-oh. It's like, here, have this little sheet. Yeah, pretty much. Like, survive or don't. But, yeah. <laughs> I son asked, what did they do to their heads? I think he just means that their hair was cut. Right. Short. But, like military style. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yes. Hair was also a status symbol. So like once they were older, um, they could grow their hair out. We'll see that with women later too. But anyway, so yeah, like no shoes. Here's a cloak. Good luck. Best of luck to you. Get some bush it, like get some, um, thrush from the river and make your own bed. It it really was very harsh and not a very loving place. So for girls, girls were still really important to society. So even though they didn't necessarily help militaristically, they were very important because they would eventually grow up to make more babies. And um, they were raised and taught by their mothers, but they weren't taught like sewing or weaving or cleaning like most women of that time. They were trained similarly to boys, and sometimes they even went to the agogi for a while with the boys. That's kind of, some say they did, some say they didn't. It's one of those, like, maybe. (laughs) Right. But they were taught more reading and writing skills, and they were definitely taught a lot more about music, dancing, Mm. and playing music, and uh, writing poetry, things like that. Not that they really sat around and did that either. But... um, They also were going to grow up to pretty much run the state because the men would be gone. So they needed more. That actually makes sense. Yeah. They needed more reading and writing skills than the boys. Yeah. Um, If you're sending all of your men off to war to die. Right. (laughs) Somebody's got to run the place. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that essentially fell on their shoulders Mm. as they grew up. And... But girls were also taught wrestling and boxing and discus, the javelin toss, horseback riding, foot races. Uh, they had to be all able of to this. hold their own. Yeah, absolutely. They had to be able to hold their own. They learned how to fight with weapons. Again, not to the same extent as the boys, but they still needed to be strong females who could have strong sons. And that was how they did it. So, right. um. <clears throat> so again, like I said, boys and men, they like they broke their familial ties, but they were still expected to honor their mothers with their bravery. And so an example, like if a man died in battle in a cowardly way, mm-hmm. his mother would mourn for him publicly, but not because she lost him, but because he had died in such a shameful way. Whoa. Yeah. So she <laughs> she was uh, so harsh. Yeah, uh, the mothers were very harsh. There's, I guess, if you have to like get rid of some of your own kids, yeah, yeah, Yeah. you don't, yeah, oh my goodness. 
there's a story about one guy who comes back from one of the Spartan men who comes back from war and he's crying to his mom about how hard it is or something. And she like lifts her skirt and she's like, what, you want to crawl back in? Like, that's how oh my awful. God. Isn't that terrible? Crude. <gasps> but also like that. She, there's no sympathy. She's like, what? You're being a baby. <laughs> Get back out there and die with honor, you idiot. Dang. Like, this is terrible. These moms were harsh. Their How whole do you, society was harsh. So what do you do if someone tells a your mom joke? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. You probably your mom just comes back with up. a better your mom joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't even have to fight you. My mom will come do it. And that's so a I, legit threat. And that's legit. Watch out. Oh. So speaking of the moms, women in that society, so they... Obviously, unlike any other woman in this society at this time, a lot of people compare them to Athenian women. Again, the rivalry and things like that. But Athenian women were like second rate citizens, second class. They had no, they totally relied on their husbands or the men in their family. And they had no rights to anything, really. All they were therefore was to cook clean take care of the house and make babies very much seen and not heard kind of life for Athenian women Spartan women not so much so like I said with men being gone so much they pretty much ruled Sparta Um, they had autonomy they could inherit property own land conduct business transactions and like I said they were very well educated so this was again just so unique for them don't get me wrong that came with a lot of terrible consequences it is one of those like very much pick and choose scenarios because you can see that they have certain things that are objectively really good right like women having autonomy like them being responsible for things like teaching men that it is important to protect your family but then it comes with child murder, so. Right, right. But then you also have to be prepared for that. So, ah. Yeah. And you can't even mourn your son if he didn't die in a good way. Ugh, yeah. just, yes. Um, another thing that upset the Athenians. So, of course, a- Athens men were just like, ugh, Spartan women. Disgusting. Had no respect for that at all. Right. But another thing that always um, peeved him off was that the Spartan women dressed very promiscuously, according to them, mm. because their dresses would show their thighs. <laughs> I know. What would they say today? I don't know, but. <laughs> right. It's like <laughs> all, all that's showing is your thighs. Right. Is that mm? better but for it them was, to move around and kick your ass with? Pretty. That was really it, was it was just more practical because these women weren't just standing around looking pretty they were kicking ass and taking names so (laughs) they needed to move properly um but their legal status was the same as men and they didn't do any domestic work because of all the slaves that they all had yikes yes so i will get into this more later but basically men didn't labor and women didn't either as far as menial chores farming any of that Mm. plenty of slaves to take care of all that i guess when you have a warring city state they're going to war against somebody and they're taking captives from somebody Mm -hmm. oh that's terrible yeah yeah so we'll dive into that in just a bit but um For Spartan women, too, they also participated in athletic competitions, and that was a really great way for the men to notice the women was through these athletic competitions. So they'd be like, oh, that's a strong female who would birth me strong children. Ah, she's got those good birthing hips. Got those good birthing hips. Actually, Spartan men would be mocked if they picked a delicate, like, skinny woman because they're like, what are you gonna do with her? Like, she's not gonna give you good kids. Like, yikes! You don't want that. You nobody Isn't got time that, for that. <laughs> Isn't that just like so indicative of culture, though? Yes. Because yeah. now, 
well, I say now today, our culture is just uh, like we're, we've entered the twilight zone when it comes to beauty standards and things like that. But back then it was like a means of survival. So you were looking for someone who was healthy, not sickly, Mm -hmm. not overweight, just like someone who could survive and carry on the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that, well, you said birthing hips. So birthing children, obviously they wanted physically strong and healthy women, but they were so revered as mothers of Spartans Mm. that if a mother had died in childbirth, she was given a headstone, which was like high praise, very rare, not done often at all. It was just like, it was as if she had died in battle for this for this because that's a woman's battle essentially yes and her whole thing her whole thing was to be physically fit and strong just for childbirth yeah it wasn't that they were expected really to fight or anything like that right childbirth is their thing it's like they acknowledge that childbirth is really hard to do and so it might behoove you to be ready for that be ready be be as prepared as you can be (laughs) yes Um, And then if they did have daughters, you know, that was never considered a bad thing, but it was the mom's job to raise Mm. the daughters. Right. Um, Somebody had said in the chat that, um, guessing the dads weren't around much, something like that. Right. No, dads were not around. Yeah. (laughs) They were not around. And we'll get into that in just a second. But they were very much part of the military. Family was like, yeah, I do that as a that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. And so with marriage, again, this is all for the sake of breeding. So it's like racehorses, if you yeah. will. As as crass as that might sound, it really was what it was. And they knew it. Yeah. It's a military state if you're just trying to get the best warriors out of it. Yep. That's that's why you that's why you do it. So <clears throat> it was also different from most in that women were encouraged to marry later in life, around 18 to 20 years of age. And men usually would marry in their mid twenties. So they were all like healthier in a better position, much more likely to not have things happen to the mother or to the child or anything like that. So um, once a match was chosen and the wedding night date, whatever was set, Mm -hmm. The bridesmaids, this is so, oh, it just gets boy. more and more bizarre. But anyway, the bridesmaids would capture the bride, shave her head, and dress her like a man. Yeah. Uh, uh. Yeah. And then they would take her to her room and strap her to the bed where she would have to wait for her husband to come in whenever, sometime in the middle of the night. Uh-huh. Never knew when. And they would consummate the marriage, and that was that. And they, but they did that repeated, not the capturing and shaving her head. But he would sneak in. Yeah, I know why. Why? No, I'll tell you. Hold on. But he would sneak in at night, and that was the whole thing. Is he would sneak in, and they would do their thing, and it would it might take years before they actually saw each other, like in daylight. Yeah. Why? Like, who is this guy? I don't even know. I, he comes but, in here, gets what he wants, and then yeah, leaves. Then he leaves. So, obviously, this is very strange. But strange, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the word I would use. That's an understatement. But the woman could fight back. Uh, yeah. So, if she didn't want this marriage or didn't like this guy, I mean, she could she could duke it out with her bridesmaids. She could duke it out with him when he got there. Like, I mean, she's she's gonna be a tough chick. So, if she didn't like it, I'm not she's saying she's fighting she against a Spartan warrior. I'm not saying she would win. I'm just right. <laughs> she could make it known she wasn't happy. Uh, like, I prefer not to be uh, assaulted. By my not selected husband. Right, right. But here Goodness. we are. But here we are. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was crazy. So one of the reasons that they think this was done 
again, you kind of like take it with a grain of salt, <laughs> is um, men spend all their time together all the time from the age oh, of seven. no. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> from the age of seven onward, men were always together. So for the woman to look like this and for him to sneak in at night when he couldn't see her very well and things like that, like it was a way of easing him into heterosexuality <laughs> rather than what he was used to. <laughs> the Spartans were gay Jim bros. Oh, for sure. But the women were too. I mean, they oh. all were. And so was Greece. So, <laughs> well, okay, fair. You're right. I, I forget this is all happening in Greece and everybody was gay. So, yeah, everybody, yeah, sleeping with children and things like that. Oh. It just wasn't, yeah. So, while it wasn't totally, it was t- something totally done in Greece just in general at that time. But here in Sparta, again, even more so because the men weren't expected to spend time with their wives necessarily or anything like that. Um, just helping them, helping them get into that new frame of mind. What a great honeymoon, I'm sure. Oh, wedding night. Yeah. All so of that delightful. Stuff. So <laughs> much romance, pretending to be a man so your husband actually is with you. So much love. So much love. To be fair, I guess. Well, it doesn't really help. But they also shaved her head because her status changed. Her status symbol changed. So she was, like, starting over now as a married person. Right. Yeah, I have to grow new hair, obviously. Obviously. You Uh, didn't do that before your wedding? Oh, for sure. In all of my wedding pictures, I'm just, like, bald because I'm starting over with my married name and not my maiden name anymore. Yes. Obviously. 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 Didn't you do that? Didn't everybody do that? I mean, obviously, yeah. Yes, my wedding photos look the same. (laughs) Anyway, there is one funny quote that I liked. I'm going to tell a few stories here at the end just to really ramp up their culture. But Plutarch told the story that a woman of Attica once asked Gorgo, who was Leonidas from 300, Mm -hmm. his wife, why do you Spartan women? Why are you Spartan women the only women who lorded over your men? And she said, "Because only Spartan women give birth to real men." Ooh, snap! That's a burn. Burned him. Burned her. Anyway, yeah. They have a lot of catchy phrases that they say, which I'll tell you all about also in a bit. But so the children, women—that was their life. The men. Much, much simpler. All of their life was dedicated to service. Like, that was it. So they lived in the army barracks or a military lodging outside of town. They ate with their men. Like, they never went home, except apparently to make babies. And (laughs) just often enough to keep the military populated. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um. So, yeah, their whole time was spent with their brothers in arms, and they, like, eating was a big deal. Like, they were very sparse. What they ate was was very healthy for the most part. It was, like, grains, like barley, a lot of protein. And they say that's why Spartans were so tall, because they were, um, they ate so well. But one of the things that they would eat was called blood soup. Oh. Or black soup. Black, black soup. soup. Sorry. And it had blood soup. in it. But it was pig's blood that was boiled also with the meat from the pig and vinegar. Oh, no. Because why not? <laughs> Give it a little more flavor. I don't know. Wait. I'm just like doing some chemistry math. Mm-hmm. Vinegar has acetic acid. That's going to make the blood like congeal. and Right. Right. Ew. Yeah. <clears throat> Ew. Yeah. And I didn't write this down because I forgot who said it, but somebody was like, well, I know why the Spartans are always so willing to die. (laughs) Yeah, really? (laughs) Tried the black soup. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'd rather die than eat that. Yeah. Yeah. But apart from that, that's why they were so tall and muscular and, and unlike everybody else, not just because of the exercise and everything. 
but they also had new good nutrition for the most part. It, on top of it, is that good nutrition? I, I don't know if I that part was, but doubts about that. Yeah, Ugh. I feel <laughs> like that's a good way to get a disease. Yes, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Ugh. But that was just that was one of the things that stuck out to me when I was like, oh, yes. yummy. I mean, it, it stuck out to everybody, too, because that was definitely something that was the historians talked about. So <laughs> now we not? need to do like a live stream thing where people <sighs> do a hundred dollar rumble rant. Elise Lee blood soup, black soup. She's like, no, you could. I don't pay know. Me if, I don't know if you can pay me enough. <laughs> I don't blame you. Oh, my goodness. Um, but basically, a man's life, if he could survive the diet was a continuation of the agogi. So we continue to be physically fit and honing his fighting abilities at 20. He was considered a true soldier. And at the age of 30, he got full citizenship with the rights to now live at home. So he could leave the barracks and actually go live at home, be a farmer, which really just meant he managed the property while all of his slaves did all the work. He got to retire essentially. Yeah, I mean, he was still on duty, on call whenever needed. Um, and then again, if they made it to the age of 60, they would officially retire. And then they could join the council mm. for the state, if they so chose. Gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> so, that, again, much, much simpler, but also very difficult. I don't want to make less of how right. awful that was, but their life was pretty much laid out for them and they could, they were told what to do all the time with all their buddies. It's, it's like 1984 yeah. meets the military. I don't know. Like they obviously had the military in 1984, but it's oh, like but your whole life was just dedicated to this thing yeah. It it's so incredibly sad too because you know yeah. they didn't have any sort of ties to other human beings. Right. And they consider themselves so superior to everyone else. Right. You know, if you weren't Spartan, then you weren't really worth much. And so even with their neighbors on the island or on the Peloponnese Peninsula or even throughout Greece, like they were the best. They were the best. So it doesn't really make you friends with a lot of people either. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> to have that attitude. Um, but okay. So that's basically the gist, especially at the height of Spartan society. That was it. Like everything was for the state. Right. And again, very extreme. Like it's hard to find anything that compares to this kind of culture. You have Vikings and that's kind of similar, but they weren't for the state. And I say Vikings similar, like similar how they treated their women and right. glory and death. There was a good death for Spartans. There was that for the Vikings, but mm. it's like not. communistic Vikings. Yes. I was. Yes. Oh my gosh. You're so right. Yeah. I was thinking that a while ago, like it's communism and kind and like when you put it all on paper, it can sound really, well, not good, but <laughs> it can sound better. There are aspects that sound good, right? right? Like the idea of having a very physically conscious, nutritionally conscious, just like very conscious populace yeah. that is mindful <laughs> of the things that they do, the things they consume, the way they treat the people around them, like all of that makes sense and yeah. you would want for your society. On the other hand, the like child murder and the raping and all of that is like exactly bad, like yeah. very bad, very bad. And no, no family, like your family really wasn't, it didn't matter per se. You don't have anything outside of just being physically fit and a warrior, you know, they didn't really, I mean, music, music even to that extent was just to make them better warriors. There was no art. There was no, there was nothing extra in their life. 
Right. And again, to compare Athenians, I would say that they built, they built a Navy and they were strong that way, but they were also very, they were very decadent. Yes. That's a great word from food to clothing to everything. And you see the way that they treated their women was not ideal. So it's like, it's two sides of the same coin in a sense, almost one extreme versus the other. Right. But yet democracy did get its foundations in Athens. So I don't want to like totally shove them under the bus either. Well, but there was a lot. Democracy is not all it's cracked up to be at this point. But that's not, it's not, you're right. So it's like, I guess if you wanted to compare right. neighbors, they were just two very different Very different. Cultures. Very different. Um, but okay, so that's them at their height. But why go through all this trouble? What made, this was my question when I started really digging into this. Like, but where did this come from? Right. Why create this society? So I'm going to go off on a little tangent, but it brings it back around. I promise. So when you're writing a story, for example, and you have a character who is unique to the culture or society that they were brought up in, you need a reason. You need a reason for your character to not be what they should have been based on how they were raised. Does that make sense? I know you love to read. I I do. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Literary ties. Right. (laughs) Right. So you can't just have in a story, you can't just have like a princess who wakes up one day and decides to go slay the dragon herself when right. she was raised to be a princess. That's a very right. well, what's her motivation? Generic, what causes her to yeah. deviate from the trend? Exactly. So that's the question here too. Why did this pop up when this was not right. something going on in this area or anywhere really for that matter? A few reasons. So after like Agamemnon and Helen of Troy and Helen, who was so beautiful, she launched a thousand ships. That whole, that whole chestnut. Um, Greece kind of fell into this dark age. Mm. Nobody's quite sure why, whether it was like a decline in population because of an earthquake or economically or war, or some people even said an asteroid, like nobody. Wow. I know. Who knows? Throwing everything at it. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody knows. But, um, yes. So it falls into this like dark age. And around 1000 BC, a group of folks come together and they form this spot in, oh, man, Laconia is what it's called now or what's called. But basically, it was just gorgeous valley surrounded by mountains and it looked absolutely idyllic and it was um, totally landlocked and the mountains gave you great security. They had just basically found their own paradise and they were very worried about like, okay, how do we keep this? Right. How do we keep this? And also how are we going to get food? Because, It's very hard to grow food here. Yikes. Greece had that problem just in general. And the answer for most of Greece was to colonize other places for them to provide Mm. the food. So these people eventually become the Spartans. They go after, I'm going to say it wrong if I don't look at it, the Messenians. Mm. There we go. Nailed it. (laughs) And they were to the West and they conquered them. And it was a long drawn out battle. I think they had, they went after them twice. Finally, they conquered them and took them over and they became the helots or the slaves. Mm. And these people way outnumbered the Spartans, always did. So the Spartans were like, well, okay, we've got our perfect spot right here. We have all these slaves who are going to do all the farming and provide all the things we need. But how do we keep it? All over Greece, people were revolting. Um, right. They were 
there was civil war everywhere. And they're like, we don't want that. We want to keep what we have. We got a great thing going for these slaves over here. <laughs> right. For us, not for them. Right, for us, not- it's great. Um, and I think this is kind of a two-part thing. So first, they're trying to repress their slaves so they can keep what they got. And also, they started to really fight the phalanx style of mm. war. So I'm going to, first of all, I meant to pull this up earlier, but just a little picture of the Peloponnese so you guys can yes. get an idea. I need pictures. Me too. So the red is where the Spartans were. Okay. And then to the west of that was the um, place that they had conquered. Eventually, they conquer a lot of Greece. But that's not for a long time. (laughs) That's skipping way ahead. Fair. And this is just another. So Laconia. Okay. Oh, you're right. Sparta is very much landlocked in between Mm -hmm. all these mountain ranges. Exactly. So it gives them great defense, but also it's not great for. Right. Farming. Athens then, seems so far away when you look at it. I know. So, yeah, here's another one. Sparta, Athens. And you can see why Athens had a navy. Right. Because they're pre- almost completely surrounded by water. Made sense right. for them. Um, and then also... I have a little video I'm just going to play in the background of um, what the phalanx would look like. Okay. I'm excited to see this because my only context for phalanx is like this Pokemon that's like a bunch of little dudes crouched together that are holding little spears. I love it. (laughs) I'll pull it up eventually. But while I'm working on that, it's basically all these men together holding these very big very heavy round shields gotcha there there it is they have a spear they have a sword a short sword they have their helmets on and their greaves and everything weighs a ton by the way oh yeah this is like a it looks like a video game it yeah yeah essentially it's not real men out there it's a right from a but computer, it gives but still, you a really good image. You get the idea. So they're all standing shoulder to shoulder with these spears. And the thing is, you would be covering most of yourself, but the guy next to you is covering your right flank. Mm. So you weren't just protecting yourself. You were protecting your neighbor. And my point with all of this is you really have to be in the mindset to not bolt because it doesn't only right. hurt, hurt you, but then you're hurting your neighbor, your partner, your brother in arms, you're fighting just as much for them as for yourself. And so I think with this comes a sense of selflessness, but not like you kind of lose the individual, the sense of individual. It's about protecting the collective, protecting your, like you said, your brother in arms. I mean, this is very much a military mindset regardless, but I could see how it would be particularly strong with them because you are relying on your bro to cover your six. Yeah, that's exactly it. I love that. So I think that in part kind of, and this is just my own interpretation of history. So, you know take that for what it is but i think that mindset was taken to the extreme obviously right you have to keep the slaves from um rebelling and then you also are losing more and more of yourself especially if you're spending all of your time with these people with these with these bros right you know spend (laughs) all your time with your bros you're not gonna bolt and right all that jazz. So I think that's kind of part of where this mindset came from. It also is largely given to Lycurgus. So he was known to the Spartans as the lawgiver, but he's one of those, like, he's kind of a myth, but maybe he was real. Oh, Yeah. Nobody really knows. Okay. So Lycurgus was the one who started all of this. He set up the city state's laws and their military and political institutions. Like he got 
all of this going and they followed it to the T forever. Mm. And again, maybe he was real. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe it was a bunch of people and they just got one name. Right. We don't know. But that's where they kind of. That's how legends build. Where, yeah, exactly. There's some truth to it. What part? Eh, who knows? Fair. Um, they also had a really interesting system of two kings rather than one. Mm-hmm. And the idea there was that it was at the founding of Sparta. It was um, two men who were descendants from Hercules. So they both were king. And then those two oh. lines just continued continued on. So I don't know. But they always had two kings who are apparently have the same blood as Hercules. How nice for them. <laughs> right. Uh, so um, yeah. So, and that's just kind of my, my thing is throughout all of Sparta's history, they were always, always, always so terrified of the helots coming mm. at them and there being a civil war and them losing everything. It wasn't just in the beginning. It was like throughout all of the time Sparta was It's Sparta. like if you enslave people, they might rise up and rebel against you. They might not like it. Yeah, weird. 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 And just to take matters further, so there was also the, oh, I want to make sure I get this right too. Cryptea, yes, which was like the secret police, right? if you will. Again, not a lot is known about them. It was like the secret police, and it was mostly the younger dudes who showed a lot of promise as soldiers, showed a lot of mental capacity, but I don't have right now. They, You're not part of the crypto. They, I, was, I was not part of that either. So, so she they, says. If I was secret police, would I tell you? <gasps> Definitely not. At least it's Cryptea confirmed. Dun, dun, dun. But the Cryptea, part of their job was always to scout for the helots, for anybody who would be trying to escape, do anything wrong. They shouldn't. Also, it was was said to be part of a boy's, um, oh, I don't know. What is that? When you're like tested to make sure you can. Oh, uh, rite of passage. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like that. They would have to hide in the woods or hide in the mountains outside of where the helots lived. Right. And if any of them snuck off too far from the village where they were, it was a boy's job to kill them. So that plus the Cryptea kind of kept them all like, you know, looking over their shoulder all the time, helped them to not want to rise up. Instead of big brothers watching you, it's Cryptea's watching. Cryptea's watching you. The children are watching. Oh, the children of the mountains or something. The children of the mountains? The children of the Spartans? I don't know. Just All of it just is super creepy now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what's funny is that in the end, I mean, they, after the Peloponnesian War, which was basically between... Athens and Sparta. Sparta was definitely the victor and they came out on top, but it really hurt their numbers. And also there was this huge earthquake, which hurt their numbers. Mm. Well, that was before. It doesn't matter. Anyway, their numbers were down. And so right. the fall of Sparta really came down to like economic decline, the low numbers after that huge war. Right. And then the helots did rebel. I'm shocked. I know, what a surprise. But they're like, dude, there's like none of you and a million of us, so we're coming at you. And they did. And Greece got behind them because they're like, we're sick of these stuck-up snobs thinking they're so much better than us. It's like if you're an asshole to everyone around you, people won't be sad when you're overthrown. Nope, nope, weird. Weird. And and again, because all these places were, rather than being united, rather than like the Athenian Navy, for example, and the Spartan hoplites coming together and making a really strong military together they're all divided so like they all just fell to to alexander the great like right because it's just picking them off one at a time he was lucky that he was just too great he was just so great uh okay 
A few more quick stories to round this out because I think this is so cool and I get so nerdy about it. I love it. But do you know, I'm sure you do, you know what laconic means? Um, Like lexicon? No, like, uh, and this again, I had to write this down so I wouldn't. So it's of a person, speech, or style of writing using very few words. Oh. So like when you say someone spoke laconically, you could think of like uh, Clint Eastwood in Mm -hmm. most of his movies where he just like doesn't say much, but he has those one-liners and you're like, oh. Yeah. Or Keanu Reeves where he just says, yeah, the whole time. And you know exactly what he means. Exactly. Yes. They were taught to speak this way. Mm. Like they were trained to put all these words down into very few words and to have the most impact. So this laconic speech was very much part of lacedemonia, part of, um, but that's where we get it. It's from them. Oh, okay. So all this time, 2,500 years later, we still talk about laconic speech, their form of right. speech. Um, so some examples of that, just again, because I get nerded right. out about it and I think it's funny. Philip of Macedonia, who was Alexander the Great's father, he mm-hmm. would send messengers to Sparta or a message to Sparta. And it said, if I invade Laconia, you will be destroyed, never to rise again. And the Spartans sent back if. If. That was it. So good. That was it. And he never did. He never did. Like he threatened him, but he never did anything. If. Oh. And then I want that on a shirt. Right? If. if. Like that's it. That's all they had to say. Point taken. <laughs> I love it. They would have been amazing on Twitter. I'm just uh, Yes. I like it. They would have they would have nailed it. Yep. That's what we need. More laconic speech on Twitter. Need to work on that myself. Me too. <laughs> Another story is Leonidas and Xerxes. So from like mm-hmm. 300, Xerxes from Persia is telling them to just lay down your weapons. We'll let you go. Everything's fine. Just lay down your weapons. Be part of Persia. Everything's cool. You know, why put up this big fight? Right. Basically, just lay down your weapons. And Leonidas, Gerard Butler, just very laconically says, come and take them. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that story. And Greece still uses that as a motto to this day, like, come and take them. Yeah. People still. I mean, we in America use that phrase all the time. Come and take it. Come and take Mm -hmm. our Second Amendment rights. I dare you. I dare you. Come and take them. Exactly. I love that. And then one more from that battle was, uh, you know, our arrows will blot out the sun is what The Persians say, and they're like, then we will fight in the shade. Oh, I love it. I know. I know. Just like with the zingers. And they lasted all this time. I don't know. I just fight in the shade. Oh, my gosh. So good. In the shade. Yeah. So, again, I think the Spartans stories are so awesome. Right. When you get down to the nitty gritty, (laughs) it's like, oh, my God, you're so awful. You're the literal worst. You are the but worst. But I like your zingers. But I love how you talked. And I just, they're so unique. And I think that's the funnest part about this. It's like, that's fair. We don't, we don't have a lot of like, there's reasons why things should not be so extreme. Yeah. And I think they're a great example of that. Were they awesome, wonderful warriors? Yeah, they prove that time and time and time and time again. Right. Great people? (laughs) (laughs) Debatable. Not so much. And I guess the question, too, is what's more important? Mm. You know what I mean? Is it more important to think of, I I mean, I guess – on a global scale, on the on right. the global stage, is it better to be uh, thinking of your country as a whole, right? And to not think about the individual parts, 
Or is it better to focus on the individuals and let the nation as a whole right. kind of go? Or is it somewhere in the middle? I feel like the whole world is still trying to answer that question. Yeah. Literally right now as we speak, as we like yeah. see all of these wars taking place all around the world, it yeah. is a question of what is more important, the individual or the state. The yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't necessarily have an answer. I just... I mean, we know what the Bible tells us. The yes. Bible tells us that yes. at least the individual and as far as the family structure goes is the centermost point of civilization. So if yes. you lose that, there's no point in having a state. There's no point in having a country because you've lost what the country and state are there to protect. Right. Like you have your overarching government, but the government is supposed to be there to protect something. You mm-hmm. have to have something worth protecting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like the Spartans had nothing left behind once they were gone. Not that that's the end all be all either, but I mean, not even family. Right. And you're absolutely right. The whole thing is, uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, but the biblically, you know, we are the body. So we're not all fingers or knees or shoulders. We're we're each individual parts that make up the whole, and it's each individual part that brings something important to the I whole body. So, I guess I do have an answer. It was I didn't expect just to had to dr- just, drag it out of you. Yeah, but you're right. Not everyone is meant to carry the spear. There are some who are meant to carry the child. There are some who are meant to teach. There are some who are meant to lead. There are some who are meant to just like work in the background and yeah. serve. Yep. You know. That's what I'm trying to teach some of my students with our service projects. Like we all have different callings that God has given us. Yes. We are not meant to conform to the same mold, but we are meant to serve the same God. Yes. Yes. All the different pieces work together Mm -hmm. for the same end. Right. Yeah. And you could kind of see in the Spartans how they were trying to have pieces that work together. It's just they were going about it in such the wrong way Yeah, that, of course, it was going to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. And from a place of fear right? rather than anything else because they didn't want to lose what they had and they're grasping it so tightly. And in the end, that was their demise right? anyway. Let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> right. Well, uh, we could say that to all of the communist countries around the world who yes. are literally holding on to power out of fear of their own populace. Yeah, absolutely. We just solved it. Yep. Solved all the world's problems. <laughs> yep. And there we go. Adios. No. <laughs> no, but that's really all I had for our Spartan friends, but... I liked Yay. it. That was fun. Thanks. Yay. I like I think it's a fun topic. Just it crazy. It is such a fun topic. And crazy. <laughs> so crazy. But what do you have for us next week? I'm excited for this. So too. next week is gonna be we're kind of picking up on that thread that we let go last time we talked about science related things. Uh on our last science episode, we talked about basically mental illness and the over medication and all of that. And now I want to move into as we're getting into the Thanksgiving season, talking about gratefulness. And I've noticed this weird trend. Don't know if you've noticed that this thing called mindfulness that has come up. Everybody's obsessed with it. It's weird. <laughs> it's like hyper sciencey and hyper spiritual all at the same time. So I yep. think it'll be interesting to talk about. I'm excited. I'm excited too. And good timing. Uh, Right, right. You know, Thanksgiving. Uh, uh. But no, I think that's going to be a, a really cool conversation we have next week. Um, do you want to do the honors and tell our big? Should we? Ooh. Should we make them wait even longer till next week? <laughs> I, I, if you're here live, you've probably seen the little slide pop up. So just for our audio listeners who do download the show every week. And who are super awesome should yes. get to hear our big special news. Yay! <clears throat> so excited. Faith Moore uh, is coming on the show to share her new book, Christmas Carol. That's 
Christmas Carol with a K. It's <laughs> so good. I'm so excited. It comes out November 5th, I think. I'll drop the link in the chat, have the link for you guys to go pre-order it. But we're doing book club with her. It's going to be so awesome. It's going to so be exciting. excited. Yay. So two more days and we get to start reading her book and right. then we'll talk to her in December. Yeah. yeah. December 5th, we'll get to talk to her. So that is going to be an exciting episode of Book Club. So if you want to join us for that episode of Book Club, make sure you get the book. Make sure you read up on it. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. (gasps) All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here and joining us live. If you did and if you're listening, thank you so much. We're going to jump over to the Frida wasn't able to make any memes about this one. (laughs) Definitely not. Definitely not. So I don't know what we're going to talk about, but we'll figure it out. Until next time, friends, stay quirky, and we'll see you over on the Rumble Channel. See you later.